Good morning, Grace Church. Great to see everybody this morning or be with everybody. Look forward to the day when we can see each other in person. So I want to tell you a story. Charles was a rebel of that. There was no doubt. He must have broken his parents' hearts a hundred times, even ended up in jail on more than one occasion. But there was something that he could hear, something calling him that he couldn't escape. His sister, Lucy, likewise, was vexed by her brother's behavior and his insistence on leaving the old ways behind for this wild new thing in his head. Their disagreement came to a boil one night when Lucy was playing the piano. As she was taught, only the classics, Beethoven chief among them. Charles stormed out of the house, picked up his guitar, and started strumming. He wanted words that would go with this. Said, I'm going to write a little letter. I'm going to mail it to my local DJ. There's a rocking little title I want my jockey to play. Well, and he goes on to record Roll Over Beethoven. It was ranked as one of the top 100 rock and roll songs of all time. You see, change is always difficult and it never comes without a cost. We can listen to it now. And we don't know the cost that it took to get there. We don't know the conflict that it engendered when it first came out. It's ubiquitous to us now. But at the time, it was revolutionary. And at the time, caused a great deal of conflict. This week, we dig into one of the most important stories in all of the New Testament. Indeed, there may be few passages that inform us on what it means to be a church and what God intends to do in us, among us, and through us, more than this passage this week. The church in, in Acts 15 is facing its first crisis of identity, its first real, it's the, it's the culmination of a lot of little things that have built up into this major crisis. It's boiled over and they have to make a decision. Was it going to stick with the classics? Was it going to require everybody who came in to do things the old way, see things the old way, adopt the old customs? Was it, going to be, was it going to require that they all become Jewish before they could become Christian? Or would they be allowed to continue, the Gentiles, in their Gentileness and focus on their apprenticeship to Jesus expressed in their own cultures, from their own backgrounds, from their own way of being? The determinations of the apostles and leaders of the church was critical. But maybe even more important than the decision itself, and the outcome is of monumental importance, is how the decision was made. And into that, we are invited now to do that. Well, this whole thing must have had Moses rolling over in his grave. Well, what about us, though? What can we learn how can this help us determine the questions and challenges we have before us today as a church? Let's dig in and see what we find. Pray with me as we start. 
Father, Creator, Holy Spirit, Jesus, speak to us now. Just as your Holy Spirit did on the council in Acts 15 that we're about to read, just as it did on the Gentile believers and the, and the Jews who were called to follow Jesus in this new way. Give us revelation, divine revelation, revelation that comes beyond ourselves, beyond, from beyond our own experience. And give us one heart, one mind to move into the future, unified, not in our own wisdom, but in the wisdom that comes from above, which is peaceable and pure, and leads us into all truth and wisdom. We are confident rest in you, Jesus, not in our own abilities, and in the Holy Spirit that you've sent to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Well, we continue this week with our study of the book of Acts, us asking Acts questions, and in return, allowing the book itself, Acts, to ask us questions. And the big idea we have this week as we encounter this text is this idea of coming to a resolution on something new that the Spirit is doing. James D.G. Dunn, in his commentary on the Acts of the Apostles, says, what we have here then is possibly the classic confrontation between old revelation, confirmed by centuries of history, and new insight, given not through Jesus himself, but in the course of an expanding, developing mission, with the Christian mission continuing to develop today, the church cannot avoid being confronted with similar hard questions, in the resolution of which not all will be satisfied. We indeed are confronted today with similar hard questions. We need to remember also as we read this that the Holy Spirit is the hero in the book of Acts, even though we call it the Acts of the Apostles. It could just as easily be called, Welcome to the Center Stage, Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God, is the one moving and acting through the people here. Well, let's, let's read the text. And like we did last week, I'm going to invite you to read it at home. I'm going to invite you to read it out loud uh, where you are and let the words seep into you as you read it. Dan White comments that when Jesus recruited his disciples... He gathered some militant nationalist, a tax collector who favored the Sadducees, fishermen who were exploited by Roman taxation, a member of the Zealot Party, and a wealthy nobleman with ties to the Pharisees. I would add to this a, a whole host of women from various backgrounds and occupations. He goes on to say this would be like organizing a small group with a few Black Lives Matters protesters, some blue-collar workers who support Donald Trump, a couple on public, public assistance, a wealthy Republican who loves capitalism, and a member of Antifa. You see, Jesus started a polarizing, a polarization-busting movement, a space where foes became friends as a witness to the upside-down kingdom of God. This precedent of radical inclusion started by Jesus begins to be further realized in the book of Acts. And that caused problems. And that's why where we come to our 
text this week. So first of all, let's look at the issues. What's, what's the deal with circumcision? Were they really just concerned that a minor if you're a child, major if you're an adult, a medical procedure um, be maintained among all those who came into the church? Well, no, of course not. When, when we say circumcision, that, that's a signal. That is, that is saying that it's, it's like pledging allegiance in a way. It's symbolic of all of Israel's history. It's symbolic of the covenant. It's symbolic of God's promise to the people and the people's response to God. It's also an extremely serious way of setting yourself apart from the rest of culture. This was a cultural flag that they were doing. If you remember way back when we studied the, the intertestamental period, um, one of the things that so abhorred the, the Jews, the Maccabees that came up when that, when, when the Hellenization of Jerusalem was their public parading of their nudity uncircumcised and how some of the Hellenist Jews actually would, would create fake, um, how do I say this delicately, uh, camouflage to make them appear as uncircumcised. Well, so circumcision, when we hear this, what we're seeing is everything that they hold true. God, the flag, apple pie. Like, like being circumcised to a Jew is, is everything that it meant to be Jewish. So this is not a minor thing that they're arguing over. This is a whole way of, of understanding your identity and your culture. Likewise, when we see the things that they talk about, the food offered to idols, like, what's the big deal? Why, why are you eating? Well, well, no, 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 no. All three things that we're going to see that they, that they say, hey, abstain from, were connected with temple worship, pagan temple worship. Food offered to idols, often before a, a Gentile family would sit down, they would, they would spill salt or wine or something as an offering to the gods before they ate. Uh, the sexual immorality here is it's not adultery. It's not fornication. This is temple prostitution. This is being engaged in immoral acts in the temple as an act of worship. Likewise, the way the meat was prepared, strangled, uh, all had to center in the temple, which again was a cultural marker. It was a way identif of identifying yourself. It was a way of gaining solidarity with other people was through these practices. It wasn't so much the practice itself. It was what it symbolized. It was what it was communicating. So what is really being asked here? Well, this is where it, this is where it becomes really personal. They were asking both sides to let go, Jews and Gentiles. They were asking them to let their imaginations, their allegiances, their affections, their affiliations, totally reoriented to Jesus and to his kingdom, that there was something more important than their cultural practices. There was something more important than their identity, their group identity. It was the allegiance to this kingdom that Jesus had come to give to us, to proclaim, to incarnate, and then to pass on to the church. And the church struggled with this, y'all. 
they struggled because most of them, even though Jesus was radically diverse and inclusive in his gathering of disciples for where he was in his context, as that spread out beyond the boundaries of Jerusalem and, and Galilee, it, it became so much broader. The people were they were confused. They were threatened. They didn't know. They felt like if they were including these others, they were, they were being disloyal to their ancestors. They felt like they were being disloyal to what they were taught. They felt like they were being disloyal to, to their very identity as a person. Well, sometimes we have to let go of things to get the new things. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing here. He's, he's telling the church, you're going to have to let go of all that. If you're going to be my kingdom... You can't still be the kingdom of your forefathers. If you're going to be my church, you can't be the church that excludes, that cuts off. You see, I, this week I've really, I've gained so much more sympathy for those who are called the Judaizers here. Paul speaks very dismissively of them. Uh, we adopt that tone pretty easily in our church, you know, dismissing the Judaizers, but these were people that loved their history. I love, I love history. I get it. They were the ones that loved tradition. They were the ones that, that felt like they had received something precious and it was their job not to change it, not to let it be corrupted. Y'all, we all have that in us. That's a natural impulse. It's not bad. But when the Holy Spirit shows up to do something different, we need to know where our allegiances lie. Is it to that thing which we've received? Is it to that culture which we've received? That thing that we've been taught and taught others is true? Or are we going to do the new thing? Are we going to follow into the place where Jesus is leading us? Well, it's interesting how they made the decision because I think this is really what's in, inspiring for us and gives us a way forward. First, it's the Holy Spirit, y'all. It's the encounter that, that the apostles had with the Gentiles. They couldn't get it philosophically. They had to spend time. Peter stands up and he talks about his, his, his interaction with Cornelius. Paul gets up and Barnabas get up and they talk about how they went to these Gentile houses, these immoral, um, out of the covenant, enemy, historic enemies, people that you would, you would, you, you, you just thought were the worst of the worst. And they said, we couldn't, we couldn't deny it. God was with them. God loved them. God was reconciling them. God was cleansing their heart. It's just, it's amazing how God will mess with your theology. And that's what's happening. God is messing with their theology. And instead of dismissing it, instead of justifying it as some aberration, they bring it before God. And they bring this Holy Spirit-inspired experience before God. And then they test it with Scripture. And as they start to read Scripture, they start to read it in a whole new way. They start to see things they've never seen before. They, they start to see that their old arguments against these things crumble in light of this experience and in light of what Scripture is now saying. It's not a denial of Scripture. It's Scripture opened up as it was not before. It's In a way, it's Scripture unlocked from their previous interpretations. And they were faithful to embrace that. They were faithful to find those things. And then last, all this happened. This Holy Spirit movement, this experience that they had with people who they previously thought were 
disqualified or outside. They're searching with the scripture. It, it all takes place in this long conversation, even though it may have seemed forever when you're reading the, sli the slides off the screen. Listen, that council, this conversation had been going on for years. Years had come been going on. So they all stayed in the conversation. None of them left. They stayed in the conversation and they made the decision. And the decision was let go of the old ways. God is doing a new things, new thing. And in specific, in specific, that new thing is this radical inclusion of people, not based on their ethnicity or their sexual practices, which is a lot was going on within the temple, um, not based on their, their observance of old ways, but on the work of the Holy Spirit in them, that they too were calling Jesus Lord. They were confessing Jesus as Lord. They were following Jesus with all their heart. And the instruction is, that's what unifies us. That is the new culture of the church that brings us together. Well, so Grace Church, where do we go from here? I mean, do we maintain our historic stance of excluding though, of excluding those who, even though we have been taught to keep out, have received the same Holy Spirit, have the evidence of the Holy Spirit and have professed Jesus as Lord? Do we keep doing that, keeping them out? Or do we, like Peter and Paul, and Barnabas and James and the majority of the early church embrace and incorporate everyone into the body, regardless of their ethnicity, their gender, their gender identity, their sexual orientation, their economic status, their physical or mental capacity or ability. Do we make the defining characteristic for what it means to be part of the church, the thing that the church set up, which is, the Holy Spirit working in a person and their confession of Jesus as Lord, period, full stop, no other qualification. Do we do that like Peter did, like Paul did, like Barnabas did, like the early church did? Or do we, like the Judaizers, say, nope, it's Jesus plus. Nope, it's more about our tradition. It's more about what we've received. It's more about the ways that we think that fit with our culture, our cultural understanding with that. Well, look, I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. Not everybody at the council really agreed. We see here that some kept silent, even though they had objections. There were those who grudgingly allowed for this decision in public, but when they went back to their homes, they didn't practice it. The evidence points that the Jerusalem church continued to require members to hold to Torah, Jewish customs, circumcision, before they were offered full fellowship. The evidence is also clear that that church disappeared from history somewhere within the next five centuries. You can travel all over the Middle East and Asia today, and you can find churches in Syria and Iraq and Iran and Ethiopia and Africa and Asia that can trace their history. They, they were Gentile lands that they can trace their history back to an organic um, indigenous church planted by this early church. You can find that everywhere except for one place. 
in Jerusalem. The church that held on to the old ways disappeared. The church that survived was the one that let go of all allegiances, Gentile and Jewish, and declared their allegiance to the kingdom, the new king, the one who includes everybody, who calls everybody. They let, they let God decide who was going to be in the church, moving in the Holy Spirit. Y'all, I think that's what we have to do. What was asked of the early church is being asked of us. That we would welcome everyone who is going to be, who is called to be an apprentice of Jesus. That we would include them fully into the church. That's our choice. That's our call. That's where we are. But listen, this isn't going to be easy. It doesn't come without a cost. As we read in the final chapters of this verse, over this chapter, verses of this chapter, final verses of this chapter. Uh, we see the splitting up of Paul and Barnabas. Now, was this really over John Mark? Was it? Because I have my doubts. You see, the humanity here bleeds through these verses. As is often the case, I don't. the thing is not the thing here. John Mark's not the thing. Between the lines of the story, we can see two men who have a deep, rich history together. No doubt a real and deep love and respect. But they come to a place where they can no longer work together. Reading this should do things. It should break our hearts. It should break our hearts to see this fellowship broken. But it should also encourage us to walk in the light that we're giving because the, Paul, the story continues on their ear with Paul, not Barnabas. Paul becomes the major player in Acts, not Barnabas. Barnabas was the one who was swayed by the Judaizers, who probably was reluctant in his acquiescence to this, even though he witnessed it. The pull of tradition was too strong. We have to understand Anytime we do this, especially when we do this, it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard on our relationships. It's going to be hard internally as we struggle. But we have the testimony of Scripture to guide us here that this is the way. This is the way we're to walk. This is the way we're to follow. This is the way we're going to survive. Not just survive, but flourish. This is what Scripture teaches us.